Welcome back to Winning the Battle for Talent, the podcast where our customer service experts discuss people management, reducing attrition, and helping employees thrive. Let's join the conversation. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the J.D. Power Winning the Battle for Talent podcast. I'm Michael Vermillion with J.D. Power, and with me today are Mark Miller and Scott Killingsworth from J.D. Power and Ted Narden from Fifth Talent. Mark, Scott, Ted, welcome, and thanks for joining us today. Hey, Mike. Hi, Mike. Glad to be here. Looking forward to it. So we've been having a series of conversations on around the four imperatives of the frontline supervisor during the Great Resignation. Uh, we've we've covered the first two today. We want to cover the third one. So, so Ted, what's uh, what's on what's on deck here? Or at bat, I guess. Right <laughs> yeah, <metaphor>, well, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, so we talked about changing your mindset and how important that was. We did talk about bridging disconnection with your team members and in the company. And today we're going to talk about that. Your next imperative is to reduce stress and anxiety. Okay, so so. I think I'll play Mark Miller here and ask the question: Why? You know, why is this important? And what what are we seeing out there in the um, in the marketplace in terms of uh, reduce? Or, I'm sorry, stress and anxiety. Is this uh, is this an issue that's new, or is it kind of is it kind of risen to the top with um, all the changes um, in the uh, in the environment? Certainly not new. Stress and anxiety has come with the job forever, and I do think it's heightened it for a lot of reasons. You know, for years, I've been presenting on this topic and in working with companies have suggested this is really an area of concern. And one of the common responses that I get back um, kind of in the why sort of way of stated a little differently is, you know, we don't we don't really have time for this. We have a business to run. People need to take care of their own stress and anxiety in a sense. Get over it. Um, You work. Work is stressful. You're going to having days with anxiety. Get over it. And, and while they may not say that directly, it's, it's, it's said a lot under the surface. And if you look at the focus in companies, you would find that there's very little being done broadly around reducing stress and anxiety. Yeah, that, so a couple of... Yeah, I'm sorry, that, that's interesting because I, I suppose you could break it down to um, like, a, you know, I'm a tennis player, at least I was, and you've got the... Um, the forced errors and the, and the unforced errors, right? So there's a certain amount of stress and anxiety that just goes with high performance, but there's probably a lot of stress and anxiety that's caused just by, I don't know, poor management or poor structure or poor policy or whatever, kind of the unforced errors. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it is, uh, research um, over and over, and our research and others will tell you that it's the number one cause of voluntary turnover, is people who feel, feel that the stress and anxiety has gotten higher than they're willing to bear. And so it's worth leaving for another job. And now what we're seeing is people are leaving, purely leaving. If you look at what's happening in what would be um, the baby boomer age, uh, is that they're retiring early and uh, by and large have left a large vacancy of positions out there uh, because of this. And the statement is, you know, I can't take the stress and anxiety or I don't, I don't need to anymore and I'm done. And then when you look at the other end of the spectrum, which is that Generation Z, who we thought would take the place of everyone retiring, they're entering the workforce at a lower rate than is expected. But more importantly, they're also, um, as we say, churning in that rate. They're leaving jobs, taking other jobs. 
And what research is showing more and more uh, for this is it's about the stress and anxiety. Um, No-call, no-shows are at an all-time high, have been even pre-pandemic, and they've gone up now. It's uh, at epidemic level, really. So, so let's tie this back to the supervisor. What, what, what is the... Um... What is the supervisor's role? What what should the supervisor be thinking about, and uh, when it comes to stress and anxiety? Well, I think you you started down the path in the beginning, and which is they might be the cause of the stress and anxiety. And so, one part to really take into this, if you take internally, if you will, is that um, you might be playing a role if you are a frontline supervisor in the stress and anxiety of others. And I don't say that lightly. A lot of research out there, um, even from academic literature, which will tell you that the perception of the stress that is caused by your direct supervisor is the one that determines whether or not you feel your work is worthwhile and whether or not you want to stay with that company. So we call generally the stress anxiety that's created from this, uh, or I should say what causes the stress and anxiety, are, are frustrations. And those frustrations we label generally as grind. So what you end up really saying is that it, the more grind you feel, the more you feel stress and anxiety, and the more likely you are to say, the job's not worth it, I'm out. So as a supervisor, you're right on the front line of this. We talked in a previous um, episode about how that small unit leadership is really what holds people together as a group, but also holds a company together with all of those groups um, being held together independently. And so when you look at the frontline leader, their number one role is to help reduce the grind and thereby the stress and anxiety of team members. Yeah, that, that's, that's, that's really interesting. So, so Scott and Mark, when we're out working with high-performing organizations, do we see a um, material difference in levels of stress and anxiety in the high-performing organizations compared to the um, middle or low-performing orgs? Yeah, I'll start off here and Scott can jump in because and Scott and I have spent uh, literally years uh, inside call centers, inside high performers. But so the short answer is yes. And just to bring it back to something very practical is uh, and this manifests in our best practices. So for those of you who don't know, we've been in, you know, over 600 high performing organizations, call centers. And we have seen what it is that they actually do. And of course, we've been in our share of lower performers. And one of the big differences is that in high performers, there is an outsized focus on the supervisor. And what that really means is a few things. Number one, there's an there's a recognition that unless there's enough time given to the supervisor to do his or her job, right? In terms of coaching, developing, building relationships like we've talked about on a one-on-one basis, you're going to have low performance. Um, So that would be one thing that, (laughs) excuse me, we have seen, we'd really recommend is ensure that there's time for the supervisor to do their primary job. The other thing that um, oftentimes gets overlooked, especially in this era where there's so much radical turnover is uh, training. So what we oftentimes see is a supervisor leaves or a manager leaves. You have to promote a supervisor. Supervisor gets a manager job, pull in a rep, uh, 
to become, go through the interview process to become a supervisor and you just keep on chugging. That is the most critical point at that moment of transition. And so if high performing organizations intentionally build in a buffer factor, and there's different ways to do this, that allows that supervisor to get trained very quickly to be effective. So what you don't see in these top performers is the supervisor training happening, you know, six months after they've been promoted. You have to build that in. And that speaks to some of the other concepts that we had talked about previously around being intentional about where you place your limited resources and supervisors are, are so key to that. But Scott, I don't know if you have any thoughts. Yeah, Mark, I, th I think you you hit on something that we see as a big difference between uh, top performers and those that may be challenged is that the supervisor's job in those top performing organizations is to lead, coach, and develop relationships. And it's very difficult to do that if you don't have the time. Uh, and you may not have the time in a couple of ways. One is your span of control, your supervisor to rep ratio. Um, obviously, you're going to have more time to spend on each individual uh, if you have 10 reps on a team versus 20 or 25. So that's kind of one difference. We see lower span of control. The other is the actual duties uh, of the supervisor, right? Um, you know, in some organizations, the supervisor may have like administrative duties or HR duties um, that really take time away from their primary mission again is to to lead coach and and develop relationships so that's one of the differences that um that i've seen over the years so, so Ted, just to wrap up this topic then um i think mark and scott raised an interesting point that the supervisors need to be aware of stress and anxiety on their teams but it sounds like they probably also need some self-awareness and some self-reflection. Uh, for example, are they given enough time to actually do their job? So, so how should the supervisors be thinking about this kind of from their own perspective when it comes to stress and anxiety? I think the number one tip would be to think of yourself as a lightning rod. When you think about what a lightning rod does for um, a home, is that when the lightning strikes the house, it disperses that so that it protects everything within that house. If you didn't have it, theoretically, it blows out appliances and everything else and it causes problems. When you think about what happens in an organization, sometimes it's like um, a lightning strike. And the supervisor is the last bastion of hope to not let that flow through to the frontline team. Let me give you an example. I was in a focus group um, not terrible long time ago when a group of the employees were very stressed. And they said, a couple of them, even in this focus group, said they were thinking of quitting. They, they really were. And when I asked them why, they said because their supervisors were on them every day and just, as they said, stressing them out. And I said, well, why would they do that? And they said, we don't know because we can only do what we can do, and we've been doing it every day. But somehow, they keep telling us we have to do more. And we can't do more because we're physically limited in the number of calls we can take, the quality we can do, the handle times, all these things. Why are they constantly on us? When I went back to the supervisor team and asked them why are they passing on that stress, they said it was because they didn't know what else to do. 
They didn't know what else to do. So if I can pass the stress on to them, perhaps that will somehow magically cure it, is, is kind of what I put words in their mouth. So really to, to Scott and Mark's um, you know, feedback around um, training and about preparing them and about giving them the ability to manage, it all makes a difference because you're passing on stress and anxiety to people who can do nothing about the problem that you're having. Yeah, that's 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 really uh, eye-opening and something for I think for all of us to think about as as leaders. So, Ted and Scott, Mark, thanks so much for joining us today. Enjoy Always it. a pleasure. Yep. And thanks to our listeners as well. Please join us next time where we'll continue the conversation on the four imperatives. Mm-hmm.